Good morning, everyone. Hey, let's start with a prayer. If ever there was a time when we needed to pray, it's today. God, our Father, thank you for this day that we share today. It's bright, and the sun is out, and it's unseasonably warm, and there are parts of this day that are absolutely wonderful. So we're grateful to you, and we come to you with uh, the knowledge that you have provided all that we truly need, and that day after day, you shine your grace on us, you shine your blessings on us. We also come to you with hearts that are concerned. It seems like we are as divided as a nation as we have ever seen in our lifetimes right now, and we struggle. And there's some that are absolutely delighted over the results of this past week's elections, and there are others who are depressed over it. And we as Christians are trying to find our way through this, Lord, to, to love everybody, to love as you have called us to love, to love in the midst of a very, very divided time and a divided age. Grant us wisdom. Grant us tenacity to follow King Jesus more than we follow any other leader in this world. Grant us the boldness to dare to cross over lines that some won't cross in order to partner, in order to work together, in order to to love, while at the same time giving us the, the clarity of thought and clarity of conviction to stand for what we believe, but to stand most of all for the truths that are expressed in Scripture and for the truths that belong to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Thank you for all the members of this church and all those who are finding their way in during this crazy time. We, we are experiencing a, a very different kind of life where we're not able to uh, get up close to one another in the same way that we have been used to for so much of our lives. And there are parts of our lives that are very, very disrupted. Yet, you give us this ability to go on, and you give us this powerful source of hope and, and sense of calling to be your people in the midst of this time. So, Lord, I pray that you will impart faith to those who are reaching out to understand you or to embrace you. I pray that you will impart hope to those who are discouraged and down, I pray that you will open eyes to the opportunities before us for those who think that everything has been lost and that all opportunities are are taken away. Thank you for the moment that we have here together for, for those who are in this room, and I pray that you would give us an even more powerful sense of experiencing the fellowship of the church. And I pray that you will spread your influence to those who are watching at home or wherever they are and that you will continue to bind us together as, as one church, as, as one group of people that have a shared vision and a shared love for Jesus and therefore a shared love for the people of this world, no matter who they are or how they identify themselves or what labels they put on their lives. Thank you for the opportunity we have to share the love of Jesus Christ in ways that make a difference to other people. Lord, as we look into your word today, grant us understanding and grant us conviction about how we should live tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. I read this quick reminder from a person who was getting ready to vote in the election. 
The message read this way, it's important to closely look at lawn signs during election campaigns. Last time, I ended up voting for a real estate agent. <laughs> this morning, I don't want to talk about politics or elections. Most of us have absorbed far too much of that over the past week anyway. But I do want to acknowledge the elephant in the room. An extremely high percentage of American adults voted. The polls that we have been reading dramatically misunderstood how voters would respond. And as I finished writing this message, the process was still not over. And our nation seems more polarized, more divided than it has been in a long, long time. So here's what I've been thinking over the past few days. What a great opportunity this presents to us as Christians. Exclamation point. I absolutely mean this. What a great opportunity we now have. This weekend, we are in the second week of this series that we're calling Reclaim Your Purpose. And our topic today is loving our neighbors in a divided age. Now, I want you to know that I chose that title several weeks ago, knowing that this would probably be the Sunday right after the 2020 election. But there is no way that anyone could have known exactly how divided our nation would be at this specific moment. So again, let me say with all cheerfulness, what a great opportunity to represent King Jesus and to dive into this particular command of Scripture that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. I cannot think of a better time for us to be right where we are today considering this principle as the central part of our focus this morning. So good morning. Once again, I am blessed and glad to stand with you today with those of you who are here in the worship center at North River and those of you who are with us online. I'm glad that you're participating today. Let's dive into this amazing challenge from Jesus knowing that he described the second greatest commandment in all of Scripture this way, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there are some assumptions in this series. Let me just walk you through three basic series assumptions. Here's the first one. This challenge comes directly to us from the heart of Jesus. I said this last week, but I want to remind us of that. We find in, in verses 38 and 39 of of Matthew chapter 22, Jesus saying these words, this is the first and greatest commandment. He just spelled that out, the commandment we looked at last week, and then he goes on to say, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Last week we looked at what Jesus defined as the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. These commandments, we noted, are great because Jesus called them great, not because we decide that, but he did, and he lays it out that way. Here at North River, when we read commands that come directly from Jesus, we don't merely consider them. We don't vote on whether we will choose to follow them together. We take these commands as marching orders from King Jesus. The value of learning to love our neighbors is a non-negotiable operating value because we identify ourselves as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, as Christians. Here's the second series assumption. Jesus determines the purposes of the church. He wrote in, in he said in, in what's recorded in Matthew 16, 18, and on this rock I will build my church, and depending on the translation you have, the gates of Hades or the gates of hell or the gates of death will not overcome it. 20 years ago, North River Church began to explore, adopt, and shape our ministry around the five purposes of the church that are found in the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. 
At that time, North River was in its 11th year since we had launched the church, and we were struggling. It was obvious that something was missing. And then a friend invited me to attend a conference led by Rick Warren at Saddleback Church. And I sat there for five days in a row listening to Rick teach things that I had known for a long time, but I'd never heard taught in quite this way. Never heard all put together like that. What caught my attention more than anything was that Rick Warren had not created or originated these ideas. He merely wrote about them, taught them, and packaged them in a way that would allow other people to pass them on. Instead, what I saw was that all of these purposes come directly from Jesus. Jesus determines the purposes of the church, and we follow his blueprint. And then here is the third series assumption. The stakes are higher than ever. Jesus wrote in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The Christian church was launched to further Jesus' redemptive mission in the world. Last week, I made the point that we are in a high-stakes adventure because of what Jesus identifies. I would dare say that after the events and climate created by this past week, that I think the stakes are higher than ever before. The people of our nation are frustrated and tired and divided. Our city spent several days this week boarding up over concerns about the potential for more uh, rioting and violence and looting. I don't know about you, but I spent a couple of days this week praying for police officers who would potentially be standing against physical violence and destruction and who seek to de-escalate simmering tensions. So let me say this again. What a great time for followers of Jesus to let their light shine. The darker it gets, the more the light shines. And so our key verse today is very simple. It's one sentence of Scripture, one verse of Scripture, where Jesus says, and the second is like it, meaning, and the second greatest commandment, right after the command to love God with everything you've got, is to love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean for us to love our neighbors as ourselves in a divided age? Here's the big idea that I'm going to try to get across this morning. People begin to see Jesus when they see us loving like Jesus loved. Does that make sense? People begin to see Jesus when they see us loving like Jesus loved. Okay, how do we love our neighbors in a divided age? First, see how Jesus makes this an inescapable command. Again, he says, and the second greatest commandment, this is great in Jesus' eyes, is this, love your neighbors yourself. Now, Jesus had just, devi- had just identified the greatest of all the commandments. A Pharisee, an expert in Old Testament law, had asked a very important question. He said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Meaning, in all of the Old Testament scriptures or the Jewish scriptures. And Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he added this thought that this is the first and greatest commandment. As soon as those words had landed, Jesus went on to describe what he called the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And in doing so, Jesus was declaring that loving our neighbors is right up there, bumping right up against loving God. That's how important it is in Jesus' eyes. 
By stating it this way, Jesus makes this a command and he removes all wiggle room. This isn't a command for when I feel like it, although sometimes I would like it to be. This isn't a command for the 12 disciples only or for church leaders only, it's for all of us. This isn't a command that is applied only for the people that we like. Jesus was stating this is an all seasons, all time, all in expectation for Christians. And this is an oft repeated theme for Jesus. Look at it this way. Matthew and Mark place this conversation during Jesus' Holy Week lectures. Luke follows it with the parable of the Good Samaritan, realizing that Jesus did not allow for a narrow application. He's stating that whoever needs help is our neighbor. So in Luke, here the expert in the law had heard Jesus talk about loving God and loving neighbors, and then he followed up with a theological escape artist question. <laughs> and who is my neighbor? I don't know about you, but I think this guy is absolutely brilliant because he's hearing this statement from Jesus that here's the second greatest commandment, and he's trying to figure out how do I narrow this down? How do I narrow the scope of how I have to apply it? And so he asked this great question. His mind works like our minds work when we want to get out of the hard stuff in life. And so he says, oh, Jesus, okay, wonderful statement. I, I'm with you. Here's my problem. Who exactly is my neighbor, Jesus? And here, he was looking for, for wiggle room, just like you and I sometimes look for wiggle room. And I'm so glad he asked this question because Jesus responded with that wonderful Good Samaritan parable. And we're not going to deal with that today. We'll deal with that another day. But let me just notice that all four of Gospels talk about this same challenge. In John's Gospel, Jesus says that everyone will know that we are his disciples if we love each other as Jesus has loved us. He says that in John 15, 12. He says it again in the same chapter, verse 17. So the first thing that we see is that loving our neighbors is an essential, no exceptions command from Jesus. How else do we love our neighbors in a divided age? Realize that Jesus knew about living in a divided age. Think back to the statement that he made in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with them two miles. His followers were Jews living in a land where the Romans had all the power. So going the extra mile wasn't just a cultural idiom like it is for us today. It was a physical reality. Roman soldiers could force a person on the street by tapping on the, them on the shoulder to carry their military pack with all of their weapons and their provisions and their bedroll for a Roman mile. That was a thousand paces. The practice was considered so odious that you could be going about your business, you're doing your job, and you're on your way to something important, and a Roman soldier taps you on your shoulder, and you have to carry his pack. You have to disrupt your day. It was considered so odious to the people of Judea that Roman law limited this expectation so that a soldier could only require you for a thousand paces. And I would imagine that every person in Judea who was tapped by a Roman soldier and forced to carry the pack was counting every step of the way. One, two, three, four, until they got to a thousand. And when they got to a thousand, 
they stopped. The soldier might still be walking along, but all of a sudden he'd realize, okay, that's a thousand. I got to take my pack back. And on the heels of that, Jesus says, if this Roman soldier comes and taps you on the shoulder and forces you to go one mile, because you are my follower, because that person will know who you are and why you're doing what you're doing, go to. Can you say that with me? Go to. Oh, no, 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 you guys didn't believe that. There's wiggle room in there. Go to. This is what he's calling us to be, to be go-to people. Not go-to meaning T-O-T-W-O. This is outrageous. And that's who he wants us to be, is outrageously loving people. This is just one very practical example of loving a Roman neighbor in Judea. Jesus' own people were already divided into factious rivalries. Think of the groups of people that are all around this gospel scene. There were Sadducees. The Sadducees were more elitist and wealthy and aristocratic. They interpreted Scripture very literally, and they were quick to abandon anything that might seem like man-made tradition. And they didn't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees were different from them. They were not as wealthy. They usually came from the working classes of first century Judaism, and they were lovers of tradition. They always wanted to keep things the same. They fought change wherever possible. They were more popular with common people, and they placed a high value on oral tradition. So whatever the, the rabbis or the scholars had said or done before, they wanted to carry on with those thoughts. And they typically had more run-ins with Jesus because Jesus regularly debunked their man-made traditions that got in the way of understanding, loving, or following God. And then there were the zealots who simply wanted to overthrow Rome, and they would try to use anybody and anything to accomplish their objective. They were the ones who always were pouring gas on the fire. And then there were just everyday average Jewish people who were trying to make sense of all this and survive and not join any one of these factions. Why tell you that? This means that this particular command was initially received and applied by people who lived in an already divided age and who learned to love neighbors in a divided time. Third, the first thought is that we must see how Jesus makes this an inescapable command. The second is to realize that Jesus knew about living in a divided age. Here's the third thought. Think of this as a time to reset your expectations. Have you ever had to reset your computer? I'll bet you have. Almost everybody has had one of those moments where nothing's working right, and all of a sudden you have to unplug, turn everything off, go back to the basics, and hope that when your computer resets, that the program that was malfunctioning will all of a sudden reload and run correctly. We do this when systems are not working the way that we think they should work. And sometimes that happens within us as well. Steve Malone is pastor of Maple Grove Christian Church in Charlottesville, and he talks about an ABCD plan that he created for resetting your expectations. I can't think of a better time during the midst of this COVID chaos for us to at least talk about or think about resetting our expectations. Okay, so what's the ABCD plan? A, attitude is everything. Those of you who are fans of Remember the Titans, think of Big Julius saying to his rival, attitude is everything, Captain. B, be flexible and fluid. Have you ever changed as many parts of your lives as you have over the last eight months or so? We are being forced to be flexible. 
C, center your thoughts on Jesus. And D, determine who you want to be when this chaos is over. Do you want to be a more frustrated person? Do you want to be a more angry person? Do you want to be a person who is flowing with the changes that are before us and adapting well? Or do you want to be a person who's holding on to the past and hoping that everything is going to be exactly the way that it was in January when this is finally over? Folks, I have news for you. The world moves on and change happens. And in seasons of chaos like this, Changes that were already beginning accelerate faster. The world is never going to go back to exactly the way it was before the COVID chaos. It is going to change. And you and I need to be adaptable. And if you and I are to figure out how we apply our faith to a rapidly changing world, we need to be flexible and fluid, and we need to center our our thoughts on Jesus, and we need to determine who we want to be when this is all over? Do we want to be people who respond well and who can apply the principles of Jesus in every situation? Or are we among those who are waiting for everything to go back to the way that it was and are going to be horribly disappointed when the world is different, when the chaos is over? Fourth thought. Consider why this particular command matters so much to Jesus. Here's the fuller context of this. Verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The cross of Jesus, last time I checked, extends in two directions, vertical and horizontal. Love for God expresses our love in a vertical direction. We lift our hands and our eyes and our focus to God and everything is upward. Love for neighbors expresses our love in a horizontal direction, an outward plane to those who are around us. God's love flows into us and then outward toward other people. God's love was never meant for us to keep and corral or to hoard to ourselves. God's love is given so that we know that we belong to him and is meant to be given away and expressed to others knowing that he will always resupply what we give out. If you want to know more love from God, we have to give away the love that we already have. That's the way that he gives us more. He doesn't keep making us fatter and fatter and fatter by the more that we absorb, but rather as we exercise it, as we put it in play, as we give it away, and exhaust ourselves even in the cause of loving our neighbors, he pours out more into our lives and resupplies what we're giving away. As part of this redemptive mission team, he wants us to love those whom he loves. And who does God love? He loves his son, Jesus, and expects all who love him to love the son. And he also loves the world. One of the most memorized and quoted verses of the entire Bible starts off by saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. When you and I really love someone, we care about the people that they love as well. Think of it, as a parent, can you tolerate very long anyone who says they love you but they don't love your kids? Some of the people around here whom I hold in the highest regard 
are people who went out of their way to be kind, to help, or to encourage or befriend my kids. There are stories and there are memories that will linger forever in my mind. Or the people who continue to ask about, care about, or pray for my adult kids today. One way they expressed their love, their respect, or their appreciation for Sue or for me is by caring about my kids. Jesus expects us to love our neighbors because he loved them so much that he died for them. Sometimes even the most wayward, lost, confusing, difficult people out there, Jesus died for them too. And he loved them right where they are. And then one final thought. We love each other by the way we serve. Jesus said a couple of chapters earlier here in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 20, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give up his life as a ransom for many. The first way we demonstrate our love is by serving within the church. This is the, the practice area. This should be the easier area where we, we love each other and we, we learn to express that in a variety of ways. And so God endows each of us with gifts and talents that are meant for building up others. And he expects every Christian, every Christ follower, to use and develop these gifts and talents in ministry. We'll have to come back and teach more about ministry in, a, in another time, in another message. But every Christian is designed for ministry to the church body. It's one reason why we are not just independent, isolated Christians who are on our own. We are part of a larger gathering. And the more that we are in relationship with each other and that we are serving each other, we discover more the way God has wired us up. And we find that there is power that comes from learning together, serving together, pooling our gifts together and, and doing more and finding out that we have greater capabilities together. When a person attends our 101 belonging class, we encourage them to tell their friends about what happened uh, that night before or the day before when they went to this particular class. And I tell them to say, well, when your friends say, what did you do last weekend? Well, I went to this class and I became a minister. And that'll blow their mind. And we tell them that every, every member is a minister. Doesn't mean every member is a pastor, that's a different function, but together we are all ministers. We are caught up in this process of the ministry of reconciling people to God. And therefore, our spiritual gifts and our talents greatly matter to Him and to each other. In this COVID chaos season, there are still ways that you can serve now. You can be a greeter, you can be an usher, you can be part of our setup team, our go team is continually looking for people who want to help find ways to meet needs around us in the community. Love to have you contact us about how you get involved with that. Right now, we have 15 to 20 people who are in our worship and tech teams just to pull off these services every week. Come early. Offer help. We'll put you to work in some kind of a first-serve role. I am so thrilled by some of the people who've come out of the woodwork to say, you know what, I'd like to serve, and they're doing different things than they did before the COVID period here on our Sunday morning teams. A second way that we demonstrate this love is by serving our neighbors outside. And so there are a host of ways that we can continue to do that even in this period of life. Operation Christmas Child is one of those ways to demonstrate this. 
You can pick up one of those shoe boxes on your way out today, or if you're out there online, you can call and we'll reserve one for you and come by and pick it up. But this is one way we were giving to help some child somewhere else across the world that lets them know that even in the midst of this global crisis, there are Christians somewhere else who are thinking of them, praying for them, and wanting to make sure that in the season when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, that their lives matter too. Prison Fellowship's Angel Tree is another thing that we'll roll out right on the heels of that where we buy a Christmas gift for a child who has an incarcerated parent and somehow that parent got in touch with a chaplain or a leader from Prison Fellowship and said, I can't give to my child back wherever and, and I can't undo all that's been done wrong but I've come to know Jesus in prison and will you help me by helping my child? That's an amazing reach of the arms of God through us into the homes of people who are often left out in this season. Todd mentioned Bethesda House and a, uh, an outreach that's being created through this home in, in Pembroke. Think of all the ways that people argue over abortion and all that's related to it. One of the reasons I love projects like Bethesda House is no matter what your thoughts have ever been about that topic, here is one way that we can get behind single moms who have unplanned children and who are trying to find ways to build up the skills so that they can live productive lives and take care of their kids. I can't think of a better way than getting behind a project like that. I love projects like that. They reach out across all the crazy things that people sometimes say and do in times like this. Your neighbors are more at home now than ever before, and so I hope that you are getting to know them the way that my family is trying to get to know ours. Offer help where you can. This is how they see Jesus. There are four ways that we can serve like Jesus. First, we can serve like Jesus by being aware. Notice all the people that he noticed in his pathway and stopped to talk to. We can serve Jesus by being available. We can serve like Jesus by being grateful. We can serve like Jesus by being faithful. And every time we apply these simple steps, we meet the needs of somebody else. But it goes beyond that. Every time we refuse to pass on some juicy piece of gossip that's unproven or that does damage to somebody else, we are being more like Jesus. Every time we defuse a dispute, we are loving our neighbors more like Jesus. Every time we let an insult go unreturned, we are acting a bit more like Jesus. Every time we help a neighbor in distress or we compliment a rival, we are acting more like Jesus. Sometimes those ways are profound in the way that they are understood and seen. I read the story this week of Tyler, uh, written by Tyler, Tyler Edwards, who wrote about Jeff, a pastor who was ministering in San Francisco, and he was finding it very, very difficult because he, he believed in the traditional values of marriage and sexuality, and yet he was in a, a community that was tremendously gay. And he got to know two of his neighbors who were gay men. He found they weren't much, much interested in him or in any of his beliefs because they had only experienced ridicule, rejection, or shame from the Christians they had met. And Jeff concluded, they're just not interested in who I am or what I have to say. One day, though, one of those men, Steve, called Jeff at his office. His partner, Chris, had become really sick, and that's when Jeff learned that both of them were suffering from AIDS. When Jeff got there, the place smelled foul, and he saw a vomit on the floor next to the couch, the couch where Chris was lying. Immediately, Jeff went into the bathroom, got a towel, and just started cleaning up the vomit on the floor. 
And right at that moment, Steve, the guy who had called him, came down the stairs, and he saw Jeff on his knees with his sleeves rolled up and his hands deep in vomit. And this is what he wrote later on. This is when I saw what Jesus looks like. Jesus looks like Jeff. Wow. People begin to see Jesus when they see us loving like Jesus loved. There's a great comment that you've probably heard before written by Edward Everett. I am only one, but I am still one. I cannot do everything, but I still can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something I can do. Folks, let's roll up our sleeves as long as this lasts because this is an opportunity. Let's roll up our sleeves and show our neighbors what Jesus looks like today. That's what he's asking us to do every day. People begin to see Jesus when they see us loving as Jesus loved. I wonder if you would read this prayer as our closing prayer with me this morning. Hopefully this is going to come up uh, behind me. Let's do this together out loud. Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me this week as I consider how I can love others as Jesus loved. Show me how I can serve by being aware, available, grateful, and faithful. And Lord, I pray that you would hear our prayers and that you would continue to expand our opportunities to let other people know that Jesus is alive and he lives through us. It's in his mighty name that we pray. Amen.